Welcome to Free Speech Unmuted, a Hoover Institution podcast about, unsurprisingly, free speech. I'm Eugene Volokh, professor at UCLA School of Law, soon to be senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and co-founder of the Volokh Conspiracy Blog. And I'm Jane Bambauer. I'm the Breckner Eminent Scholar and Professor of Law and Journalism at the University of Florida. Collectively, we have 44 years of law teaching between us and too many published words uh, to count on free speech. Maybe just too many words. We are our law professors after all. Jane, um, today we're going to be talking about so-called book bans. So what does that really mean? Yeah, we're starting off with an issue that is, I think, difficult and complicated uh, in the free speech realm. Um, in part because it doesn't come up to the Supreme Court very often, and in part because it's just hard. We're talking about so-called book bans, which, and by which we really mean uh, when books are removed from libra- public libraries, so either, especially at the, in the school setting, but maybe we'll also get to talk a little bit about um, libraries outside of uh, K through 12. So uh, this issue has come up quite a bit recently because of Florida's uh, so-called Don't Say Gay Bill, also formally known as the Parental Rights and Education Act. Um, This law, it actually mostly concerned curriculum, which we're not going to discuss today, but it's been at least understood or interpreted to mean that also parents have greater rights to um, petition their public schools and say, hey, you need to remove this book. And once they make such a request, then the schools remove the book and do a sort of official consideration. Um, And that process, it turns out that uh, at least recently, some school districts have been flooded with requests to review books um, and uh, whether they're removed or not, they're at least temporarily removed. Uh, And so so there's uh, an issue because parents tend to be uh, motivated to, at least in some cases, uh, some parents have not even read or looked at some of the books that they're requesting to be removed. And, um, and, uh, and so, and so I think from, from an outsider's perspective, uh, it looks like, um, students are not getting access to certain books that have been chosen for ideological reasons rather than, um, any interest in kind of the educational quality of the books. Thanks, Jane. That That's uh, an excellent summary of the issue. And there are varieties of this issue that uh, come up in uh, uh, in different states in different ways. But uh, 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 one question you might ask is, well, what has the Supreme Court said about this? And the answer is, you could say nothing or you could say too much. Um, <laughs> there was one case really before the Supreme Court on this very subject. And it came around in 1982, and it's called Board of Education versus PICO. And um, uh, the problem is the nine justices split four, four, one. So um, four justices, let's call them the liberals, the the lead opinion there was written by Justice Brennan, uh, said essentially that uh, uh, removal of books based on their viewpoint is not permissible. The Supreme Court dealt with this very issue in 1982 in a case called Board of Education versus PICO. And you might think, okay, we have a precedent. Turns out on the most contested issues, we do not have a precedent because the nine justices split 4-4-1 on the subject. 
Now, there are a few big picture things that they did agree on. So there's pretty broad agreement on the court, certainly majority agreement, that uh, books can be removed because they're seen as pervasively vulgar, or perhaps even vulgar as to isolated passages, are more broadly age inappropriate. Maybe, for example, have too much sexual content for a, an elementary school library or even for a high school library. There was pretty broad agreement on that. There was also pretty broad agreement for the proposition that uh, when it comes to the curriculum of the school, what's actually taught in class, that's up to the political process to decide. And that, in fact, Often the curriculum can be chosen based on the viewpoint that it expresses. In fact, probably it has to be. It's inevitable. Like what you teach in history class or what you even teach in science may turn on what views the uh, school district wants to endorse. But when it came to the question of uh, whether it's permissible to remove books from the library based on their viewpoint, that is where the court really split. So four justices, I call them the liberals, Justice Brennan wrote the lead opinion, um, uh, took the view that uh, uh, viewpoint-based removals of books, as opposed to based on their being age-inappropriate, maybe too sexual and such, but removals based on viewpoint are generally unconstitutional because they deprive um, st uh, students of their right to receive information. Uh, four justices uh, in the dissent, uh, Chief Justice Berger for, uh, uh, wrote uh, uh, a lead opinion there, uh, you might call them the conservatives, said it's perfectly fine, uh, generally speaking, for the library to remove books based on their viewpoint, maybe not in a few extreme situations, but as a general matter, the contents of a school library are kind of connected to the curriculum. They're in a sense of sort of a part of the curriculum. Uh, and that, therefore, it should be up to the school district to decide what to uh, leave in the school library and what to remove. And, of course, the school district could be influenced by uh, by the parents or perhaps even the legislature uh, can step in, in in place of the school district. Well, what about the one? What about the swing vote, Justice White? Well, it turns out that his opinion was entirely based on a procedural question. That is the true superpower of the lawyer. We can turn every question into a question about procedure. And Justice White said, look, we don't have any factual findings on why these books were removed. Were they removed because they were too vulgar and age inappropriate, or were they removed based on their viewpoint? Let's send this back down to the lower court to make that decision. And then maybe we'll come back uh, to this case, and then we can decide this First Amendment issue. The one thing that was clear about Justice White's view on this contested First Amendment issue is he said we should not be deciding. He said the Supreme Court should not be deciding it at this stage of the case. So you've got basically four votes for one position, four votes for the opposite position, but not five votes on either of those positions when it comes to viewpoint-based removals. That's one of the things that makes it so complicated, is that there are these opinions and people can agree with one or the other, but the Supreme Court hasn't told us which of those opinions it agrees on, at least, and majority of the Supreme Court has never told us that. Yeah, so, and this is not a fifth vote. It, the Justice White's opinion, it wasn't one of these splitting the baby, you know, or like it's not um, sort of uh sort of mending the fracture by a hair he he explicitly said we are not you know he explicitly made sure that there was no majority by um 
by refusing to say anything about the constitutionality. Yeah, now I seem to recall there was some philosopher or something, I'm not sure, sounded like philosopher, who said, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. So Justice White did make a choice. He just didn't make a choice on this core question that's been bedeviling us uh, since then for, for the last 40 years. So that's the law such as it is. It's not, not settled. So really, there's room to argue, even in light of the precedent, room to argue uh, uh, both positions. Um, so, so Jane, what, what do you think? What do you think is the right approach to this sort of thing? Yeah, I tend to agree with the the liberals on this case, uh, you know, and I should say that there, I think we would both agree that there isn't room to argue about certain things. So if the, if a book is removed um, because it's uh, indecent or inappropriate for the age, or perhaps even grossly inaccurate, maybe there are some uh, categories of types of review removal that uh, do not trigger this um, viewpoint uh, viewpoint-based inquiry. Absolutely. Um, and that in itself is somewhat interesting because what counts as indecent is sort of a viewpoint, but okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, but in, in cases like what's going on in Florida right now, I think the bigger concern is whether, um, books are being removed or purged in order to, sh to avoid exposure to certain political positions or you know, political ideas. Um, and there, I agree with the liberal justices trying to strike a balance between a school's interest, certainly in its curriculum, maybe even in its book selection, and to some extent, yeah, book selection process when it's populating the library, uh, with trying to achieve certain um, goals related to inculcating the right values and whatnot. Um, but if there's one rule that still applies to schools, uh, even when they have quite a bit of discretion and power otherwise, it's that they can't impose orthodoxies, uh, whether they do it directly through their own administration, uh, it, through their own administrators, or whether it comes from parental pressure. Uh, and so I think it makes sense. I, rather, that there, there are two things I think that were feeding into the liberal opinion at the time. One was that the library is one of the few places that children at the time could go to to get exposed to all sorts of ideas and do a self-education, a self-directed sort of study. That kind of logic, I think, uh, you know, is less powerful today now that children most, you know, most children have access to the internet and they're just so many sources, rich sources of, of information, but the no orthodoxy principle, the sort of, um, the idea that, uh, we can promote certain values in the curriculum, but we're trying not to, um, have a, you know, a no go zone in terms of, um, political thought, especially, I think that's still very applicable. It makes sense to keep that value in the library, at least in one space in the school. Uh, so that that makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's a pretty powerful argument. Um, I have to say on balance, though, I, I tend to think that uh, the conservatives on the court probably got this right. And let me let me just ask you this. So here is one way of thinking about the issue. Somebody's got to decide what's going to go in the school library. Uh, there are a lot of books out there. Only a small set of them are actually going to be on the shelves. Uh, 
And one of the things that the court stressed is there was no issue there about the acquisition of books. And probably almost inevitably, acquisition of books is going to turn in some measure on somebody's, generally the librarian's, judgment about what books are good for the kids and what books are bad. And that may have to do with the viewpoint. Do they teach good uh, good uh, uh, things or do they teach bad things? Do they do they present kind of good people as heroes or do they present bad people as heroes, let's say, uh, for fiction? Um, so inevitably, librarians are going to make this decision. And then the question is, do they have as a constitutional matter, as a First Amendment matter, the final say? Or perhaps should the final say be had by not the employee, but by the employer? Not by the subordinate, but by the boss. And who's the boss? Well, it could be the principal. It could be the Board of Education. Could be the legislature. Could be the voters. Uh, and uh, if if a librarian decides that some book should be gotten because of the viewpoint and some other book should not be gotten because of the viewpoint, well, that's part of the librarian's decision. But then if the librarian superiors, including us, who, who uh, uh, pay for, for this whole system and who are, who are ultimately responsible for the whole system, conclude that that book probably isn't as good as the librarian thought, then uh, that, that should be a choice to be made by the superiors, again, by the Board of Education, by the legislature, maybe by the public, and not by the subordinate. Uh, the alternative is under the majority's decision. There is, as a First Amendment matter, the special privilege of this particular class of public employee. The librarians get to put something on the shelf and then nobody can remove it, or at least can remove it for the same reasons, for the flip side of the reasons that the librarian selected it, because they disapprove of the viewpoint that the librarian approved of. That doesn't seem so, right to me. And that's why I think viewing it as a matter of, uh, this is sort of an adjunct to the curriculum where it is up to the political process to decide what's going to be included. That makes more sense. What do you think? No, so I disagree. So let, let me explain why. I, I, I agree that the that there is a, a potential problem of the librarian having a little bit too much power um, as a practical matter. Um, and in fact, there's some studies of what librarians in fact acquire across not just Florida, but across the, the United States that suggests that there is, in fact, ideological bias in terms of acquisition. Um, and so, uh, however, I do think that there's a difference between a book that already exists that requires no additional expense um, uh, being removed. So there is a, you know, there's a difference between addition and subtraction. Um, and if there's already a book and there's no issue of shelf space, or at least that wasn't the reason, you know, I think our debate depends on us understanding that um, the reason for the removal is not related to space constraint or, you know, educational suitability or any of those other reasons that the court would say are okay. It's solely based on ideological reasons. So I, I think, um, once a book is acquired and there's no um you know there's there's no reason uh, sorry there's no practical uh limitation um it's not taking up the space that some other book would would take then um putting pressure to remove it um is should be treated significantly differently from 
maybe putting pressure to add additional books. So, so I, I, my understanding, actually, I wanted to know what you thought of this. My understanding was that when Pico took off the table, the acquisition question, let me, let me back up actually. So um, my understanding was that when the Pico case, the liberal opinion, at least um, said that they are not considering the question of um, ideological uh, viewpoint with respect to acquisition, it was partly to make clear that what the parents were demanding in that case, just as they are in Florida, um, is not ideological balance through adding new books that can that can um, provide a sort of counterpoint, um, but instead we're demanding the removal of books. Uh, this to me seems important. Are you not uh, are you, are you not convinced that there's a difference here? Well, I do think there is an important difference here, which is the decisions to add are going to overwhelmingly be made by um, by librarians, right? They're the ones who decide what to buy. Uh, and if you say, okay, decisions to add, librarians will have flexibility to decide what to buy and what not to buy. But then once it's on the shelf, it can't be removed, at least based on viewpoint. Again, that means the librarian, who is the employee, gets this final say, and that the employer can't undo that. That seems well, odd. Well, the employer does have the ability to, first of all, change out the librarian and the parents. No, but I do think if we fire, if you allow the firing of the librarian because they chose the wrong books, hard to see how that's somehow better from a First Amendment perspective than removing the books. If anything, removing the librarian based on the librarian's ideological judgment may be constitutionally permissible. It's an interesting question, but at the very least, there's a much more aggressive step. Well, it's funny. I guess I don't. I guess I don't see it as more aggressive because when you remove when when you remove a book, you're basically saying, you know, the message that's being told is this is a dangerous idea for children to access. When you remove a librarian because they only stock books with one one with one viewpoint to the exclusion of another, or you know, they 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 or they ignore certain viewpoints and they're not getting full ideological diversity, then. Um, then that seems uh, like it's actually in line with it, it. It it actually supports the you know the so-called north star of no orthodoxies. If the if the source of the orthodoxy is the librarian, then get rid of the librarian rather than getting rid of books, right? But let's step back from this from from the discussion of orthodoxy and ask what's the function of a school library? I think the function of a school library in many ways is for the school to say, look, here are books that we want to encourage you folks, you students to read. And with luck, you know, this is not a completely narrow-minded view. We'll only encourage you to read books from one particular viewpoint. But yeah, there are going to be some viewpoints that are going to be underrepresented. We're not going to have a lot of books that say, yeah, you know, people should go out there and commit crimes against each other because that's a that's a good, good, lovely thing to do. We don't really want to encourage people to do that. We don't want to encourage have books that encourage people to be racist or encourage people to to, I don't know, to 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 riot and burn down buildings. Um, likewise, when we select uh, novels, we want to select novels in which we think model good character traits and not bad character traits. 
you know, is that a form of orthodoxy? Yes, I suppose. Uh, just like selecting what's taught in the classroom is a form of orthodoxy. I'm just not sure mm -hmm. it's that bad. Now, Jane, let me ask you this. So it turns out, or at least it appears, that at least some librarians and some kind of institutions within the community of professional librarians um, do actually approve of uh, viewpoint-based removals of books um, and possibly even from public libraries and not school libraries. I actually think there may be a difference between the two. Um, so I'm looking here at a at a, a book that apparently is uh, is pretty uh, prominent. It's an online resource that's pretty prominently referred to, although not all librarians adhere to it, of course. It's called Crew, a weeding manual for modern libraries. And it refers to the process of weeding, which is just removal of books from the shelves. It's inevitable. If you're going to buy new books, you're going to have to choose which old books to remove. And interestingly, it talks quite a bit about viewpoint-based removals in a positive way. So, for example, um, here is the item uh, on uh, um, uh, the juvenile fiction. It says, evaluate closely for, among other things, biased viewpoints. Um, uh, likewise, there is a general statement uh, that... Uh, in weeding, they, there should be um, uh, kind of a thumb on the scale in favor of a removal of books with poor content that could be outdated and obsolete information. That makes sense, you know, something, some book about medicine that's 50 years old, you don't want to keep it. Right, right. But also yeah. material that contains biased, racist, or sexist terminology or views. Uh, or another example is for juvenile fiction, uh, in removing, uh, in considering to dis whether to discard books, uh, look for books that contain stereotypical images and views of people with disabilities and the elderly or gender and racial biases. So it looks like even many librarians, by the way, I should say not all, I think there are many librarians who would disagree with this, but even they would say, look, in selecting uh, which books to have in the library and which books to keep in the library, we should be kind of paying attention to whether the viewpoints are ones we want to promote or ones we want to demote, essentially. And by the way, yeah. I think the conservatives on the court uh, in PICO would have very much agreed, said, yes, absolutely. If you think some yeah, book is uh, has bad ideas, why should you be passing it along no, to children? You're, I, I, I feel like this is just more evidence for my point that that the source of the problem is a librarian, you know, a sort of ideology running through the profession of librarians today. Um, so, uh, you know, I do think that there's a way to distinguish between the sorts of the sort the sorts of book removals or refusals to acquire that would um, that that would conflict with sort of basic decency. Um, without, uh, you know, I, I think we can distinguish a decency requirement and an educational suitability or, or even accuracy requirement from an ideological sort of litmus test. And the, what you just read from crew sounds to me like it has some of both, uh, right? So, um, so there was one that, that said something like, um, that promotes, racial stereotypes or refers to them. I, I don't quite remember exactly the language. Maybe you can read it again, but but referring is very different from promoting, right? And I guess I'm imagining that of all places, the library, especially in K through 12, is the one place where 
um, even though it's difficult, we sh the First Amendment has, a, 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 you know, the First Amendment theory has the responsibility of finding a way to allow for decency and accuracy requirements while also insisting on ideological neutrality. This is kind of like what Texas is trying to do with their platform uh, you know, with the with the bills that that regulate um, social media content moderation, I don't agree with it there. But actually, in the library, that's one context where it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, so so I I, I, I think I see the argument for that, and uh, uh, one can imagine kind of a sharp viewpoint neutrality requirement under which uh, under which even books. Based, that contain stereotypes can't be removed because, after all, a stereotype is just a is just a particular viewpoint about how we should understand people with certain of certain groups, right? Yeah, but I mean, I don't I don't think it should be that sharp. I guess that's my right. That's... Well, but then, but then, isn't it a little odd as a First Amendment matter? So here is a I think a strong First Amendment argument for the liberal position in Pico. Uh, liberal position having to do with uh, uh, with essentially uh, non-removal of books or right not to have books removed. There's a strong rule of viewpoint neutrality in many areas of First Amendment law. That includes even government property. So the government can say, look, in certain kinds of government property, let's say inside government buildings, we can ban protests, we can restrict content, but even there, the government can't restrict the viewpoint of speech. So I understand right. a sharp viewpoint neutrality rule uh, that yeah. should apply even to libraries. Maybe that's, by the way, a rule that might make sense for public libraries that are not school libraries, where the goal is often a matter of just providing everybody in the community with the kinds of books that they want. Uh, there's not a, a pedagogical goal, to, I think, to a public library the way there is to a, uh, to a school library, although some might disagree. Um, but you can imagine that kind of sharp viewpoint neutrality rule. But once you get to, well, some viewpoints should be excluded because they're not really, they're just so bad or they're just so far out of the mainstream or whatever. But other viewpoints yeah. are yeah. kind of consistent with standards of decency or some such. Well, then you get kind of a, a viewpoint-based rule of supposed viewpoint <laughs> neutrality. There you'd be in the name, of, you'd be protecting certain viewpoints while discriminating against other viewpoints. I just don't think there's a lot of precedent in First Amendment law for that. No, I agree there's there's not. So I think with when it comes to removing a book that already exists, though, that maybe the sharp viewpoint neutrality requirement does make more sense. Somebody who is has the school's best interests at heart thought the book was uh, good enough. And if you can't remove it for all of those non-viewpoint reasons that we already discussed, accuracy, suitability, et cetera, decency, which again, I think even there, I think that shows that the courts have allowed for some slippage between you know, the sharpest possible viewpoint neutrality and whatever other set of viewpoints that but any in any way, in any case, um, I think uh, the distinction should be sharper when we're talking about removals. In terms of acquisition, though, uh, I guess I would be more sympathetic than it sounds like you would to imposing a greater level of neutrality, but uh, um, in the actual acquisition and stocking of the books in the first place, which is sort of interesting, where, where yes, you are absolutely right that the requirements would have to be um, somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat 
a precedential, not, there's nothing quite like it. Um, but on the other hand, as a source of information, it's also um, at a very, you know, atypical and unusual one, a unique one, a unique place where, where students uh, are supposed to be uh, exploring and exposing themselves to all sorts of things. Well, um, so I think that makes sense. I think my view makes sense too. I think they both make sense. <laughs> this, if anything, if that I hope uh, people will uh, come away from this uh, uh, episode is the, with a sense that this really is a complicated question. It's complicated, by the way, because it is not a book ban in the familiar sense of book ban uh, outside this area, which is you cannot, it's a crime for you to distribute the books. The books are banned. You'll go to jail if you if you sell this book. This is not that kind of thing. It's a question of what should be allowed on government property in this government institution, and in particular, a government institution that has a strong pedagogical function of the public school. And um, it's split the court uh, back in 1982. It seems to split the two of us, even though, <laughs> even though we're both reasonable people. How could reasonable, how could reasonable people disagree on this? Well, I guess it's a close That's question. That's the plural society. And, you know, maybe at some point it's going to come up uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court again. Uh, and maybe then we'll have an answer. Doesn't mean it'll be the right answer, but at least we'll have an answer. So, Jane, uh, such a pleasure talking about uh, this with you. Join us next time when we will discuss the Florida and Texas social media cases in which the Supreme Court will be hearing oral arguments later this month. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Eugene. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we generate and promote ideas advancing freedom. For more information about our work, to hear more of our podcasts, or view our video content, please visit hoover.org.